The Gun Dog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app from your phone's app store today and use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription. I also want to bring to you Garmin. Garmin Fish and Hunt sponsors the Gundog Notebook podcast. And you better believe that when I got that good old flank collar on, on, on Vegas, when y'all asking me all kinds of questions, what's really important is what kind of collar I'm using to implement that particular training method. It's a Garmin Pro 550 Plus. Go get yourself one today. Also... When I pull up to Vegas's first field trial, his derby trial at Rocky Creek Field Trial Club, I'll be pulling up with Vegas and a Dakota 283 G3 kennel. Go check out Dakota 283 kennels now and use my promo code TGDN10 for 10% off any regular price item at checkout. Also, I want to thank Lion Country Supply for supporting the Gundog Notebook podcast and, of course, supporting field trials. Uh, Lion Country Supply is the world's premier gun dog supplier, and anything you need to get that dog ready for his first derby trial, you can find at Lion Country Supply. I also want to bring to you Yukonuba Sporting Dog, the premium performance 3020 blend. For the last 50 years, Yukonuba has created premium nutrition that unlocks the power and potential within from the unstoppable performance of the sporting dogs to the life-saving abilities of working dogs to the incredible companionship of service animals and family pets check out Yukonuba sporting dog today and go pick up a bag of the 3020 premium performance blend we will be ready for our field trial coming up uh, this weekend with uh, mr honeymoon in vegas we will be running and the very, very first brace on Sunday right after lunch in the Open Derby. Guess whose dog should be prepared to run an entire full, complete race, finding as many birds as we possibly can. I got a lot of faith in him because of Yukonuba Sporting Dog. All right, guys. So welcome back to another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook Podcast. I'm just now coming back. From uh, We stayed in Montgomery, Alabama, but the trial was at Sedgefield Plantation and uh, in Union Springs, Alabama, and I got a chance to hang out with the Tommy Rice of Diamond R. Kennels. Most of you guys have seen him on the podcast a couple of times, heard him, um, but he was so kind to have me out there hanging out with him and, and gave me a couple of his horses to ride, Moose and Lev, and I got a chance to see many of the dogs that I've seen uh, all up and through American Field. So that was really, really cool. I got a chance to see some very good dog work. Um, the conditions, it got a little hot for them, but all in all, it was just a really, really good experience. Um, and we mentioned it some on here on this episode with Tim Cavanaugh, who is a Connecticut field trialer and has you know, spent a great deal of time working some dogs, um, has a wealth of knowledge and information. And I'm just really looking forward to speaking with him about all of his thoughts and comments, especially on judging. So stay tuned for this episode of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast.
draw for the um, National Open Shooting Dog Championship. So I think it was 38. 38, 38 braces, I believe. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's quite a draw. It it really oh, yeah. is. Now, do you have any dogs that you are, are are looking forward to see the results of? I know I do. Um. Well, I see. Uh, you know, uh, the Tracys have several dogs in it, and mm-hmm. that, uh, Mike, uh, Matt Bazalone, and uh, those, those dogs that those are the dogs that I see a lot up here. Right. So I, I'm anxious to see how they do down there compared to you know what I see up here. Right. Right. Well. This will be my first trial that I went to see on this, you know, scale. Um, mm. So this is going to be interesting. I've, I want to see because I'll be down there. To, you know, I'm going down today um, to hang out with uh, a buddy, um, Raymond Jackson, and just to run, you know, do some stuff. And then I'll meet up with Tommy Rice tomorrow. And so I'll ride around and I'll be down there that, you know, that whole day. So the dogs that Gosh. I'm looking forward to seeing are um strut nation you see a lot of him yep. um and touches two-step so tommy will be running or handling um touches two-step and it's a touch dog like those dogs mm-hmm. always seem to do really well <laughs> yeah and then the way better dog so way better rocky is the one that i also want to see from mike tracy he's handling yeah that, he yeah um i see him run up here often and he's he's a very nice dog yeah and he's he's been winning a lot yeah so i I, i've seen him you know it it is not a coincidence when you keep seeing him in american field no there's a reason for it (laughs) there's a reason for it there's a reason for it and then um steel city alabama um matt basleone um yeah he's he's one that i want to keep on uh the docket now. Sean Kinklar's got that Thunderbolt that's running against um, Steel City. That's going to be an interesting brace, um, just because Sean Kinklar's such a good handler. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I'm interested in seeing how that whole thing. But I'll at least get a chance to see because they're running four braces a day, yeah, um, hour and a half. So I'll be able to see those down to the way better dogs. That's nice. Those judges, wow, an hour and a half. That's a lot of that's a lot of time in the saddle there. Yeah, my butt gonna be hurting. <laughs> them judges, your butt. Them judges. Ooh. Oh my god, yeah. That... I can't even imagine that. <laughs> well, you know, I, since we we got into this whole field trial, and I get, I guess we should go ahead and open up with, um, you know, the fact that I'm talking to Tim Cavanaugh. Okay, and and Tim, you have had some very extensive history, you know, in the field trial game. And, and you, you know, gave me a whole lot of suggestions when we first started talking and all of that. So just let's, let's bring it all home, man. Like who is Tim Cavanaugh and, and how did you get into the uh, field trial world? Well, um, my, my, my grandfather and my, my dad, they were, they were big grouse hunters Mm -hmm. and we, uh, all their friends, they they did a lot of grouse hunting around here, and I was quite young then. You know, I, I was old enough to clean birds, but I wasn't old enough to hunt yet. And uh, I, I always uh, always liked loved it when they would come in, and they they shot a lot of birds, and and it was always fun to hear their stories and stuff. And my dad and I we we hunted, but he was getting older, and um, he never had really 
had any good bird dogs. It was usually dogs that somebody gave him. Right. And there was, and there was a reason for it. <laughs> right. You know, so, uh, I, I, I bird hunted on my own, you know, all that group, they aged out and I, it was kind of just me and my brother. We did some bird hunting around here, but, um, I always loved it, but the bow hunting, uh, bug hit me and I was a fanatical bow hunter for probably 17 years. Right. Then I was reading a story and it, it was about bird hunting and that was bird dogs and it just hit me. And I got thinking about bird dogs and like wanting to get one. You know, my wife was okay with it. So I uh, started searching out and uh, I found a, a breeder uh, right here in Connecticut that uh, bred English pointers. And mm-hmm. it's Dan Grabowski of Kissing Me Kennels. And he was only an hour away from me. So I called him up and he happened to have a, a couple of six month old dogs and that he was willing to part with one. So I went over there and uh, he was explaining to me how he has a, Ameri- he, he would breed an American line of dog to uh, uh, imports from Italy. Yep. Yep. And he explained to me how that they were a closer working dog. They, they seem to have a lot of bird sense and great noses. So he brings out this uh, six month old pointer. He puts a, pigeon out there and dog comes around about 25 yards and spins around locks up and i said well i guess that's the one i want <laughs> <laughs> so that started it and um i uh, i messed around with him i i i trained him and broke him with the aid of dan giving me a lot of advice he was a big help to me for a long time taught me how to use launchers and you know he he guided me through it so i didn't mess the dog up right and uh, I, I was training with a, uh, with a friend. He had a Vishala that was a pretty nice dog. And he did hunt tests. And so he says, you ought to, you know, you ought to go to hunt test. So uh, I had, I had a litter of puppies out of, out of this dog. I, uh, I had bought, purchased another pointer from Dan and I bred them and I had a litter of puppies and I bought a couple puppies to the hunt test. And I was kind of rub wrong at that hunt test. It gave me a sour yeah. taste in my mouth. Um, just a comment that uh, one of the individuals had made there to me. Mm, um, okay. Is that something we can we can disclose? No, no, we can go on it. <laughs> go, please do. I, I, I run these puppies, and these puppies, I would say, were probably eight months old at the time. I run them in the um, junior hunter class. Okay. And I put a lot of time in them and they ran out. They ran really good. They, you know, they ran out there. I was braced. I think I was braced with a Vishala on one of them. And I don't remember the other one. Mm-hmm. And I mean, these dogs, they just lit it up. They ran out there. They point a bird and they stood there while I walked it, walked up to them, flushed the birds. And, you know, they chased as, you know, as you would expect. And, uh, I, the second dog I ran did basically the same thing. And, uh, at the end of the day, uh, I got the scores and they did really well. Um, and the judges after, after the whole hunt test was over, they came up to me and, and it was in front of a lot of people. They said, Mr. Kavanaugh, we were so impressed with these two young puppies of yours. Would you please run them again for us? 
I said, whoa, huh? Sure. Well, I was getting them ready, and this pro uh, trainer comes up to me, and he goes, anybody can hunt with a field dog, but it takes a gentleman to hunt with a show dog. What? Yeah, and it, and it just hit me wrong. It soured me from hunt test. <laughs> yeah. <What>? It, it, Hold <laughs> on. <laughs> what kind of foolishness does this man got going on? <laughs> I'm telling you, I haven't been to a hunt test since. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, I, you know, I didn't, I just, the hunt test thing didn't really catch my fancy when I ran it one time. None, mm-hmm. You know, and, and not everybody is like that. I want to, you know, say that to the listeners. It's not always like it. But there are some things, whether, you know, we have to be careful about stuff like that, you know, and, you know, in the hunt test world, man, like you can't just go up and say stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And I knew this guy, and he was—he didn't live far from me. Yeah. You know, I—I've—I you know I've had acquaintances with him before, but that—that that really just soured me on that. And so, you know, and I had the American. What kind of what? Me? I said, what point was he trying to make? Well, a lot of the dogs there were dual purpose dogs. They showed them. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, they ran him in the field, and he, this guy he he did both. He he showed his dogs, and he you know he did the hunt test. He I don't believe he did any AK field AKC field trials, but right, you know he was he was kind of big in the hunt test game. Right. Okay. That's that's so interesting, and it's such a different venue, you know. It's, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a starkly different venue. And I think that with the hunt test thing, and again, it's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but I like the competition. I don't, you know, I'm more interested in, in running against another dog, you know. Yeah. Well, um, in the hunt test, you do, obviously. You, you know, you are braced with another dog, but. But you're working you know, against a, a standard, though. Yeah, yeah. It's a point system, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Now let's talk in in the in light of competition and things. And I really want you were telling me that you had listened to the tricolor episode. Um, I did. And we got into a conversation about um, just the European dogs, and you had a half European Italian import. I I, I did. Yes. Talk, what what were the differences that you noticed um, going into field trials and things like that? And did you trial that dog? Um. I actually, I did run him in a couple gun dog, uh, trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I placed him one time, but he would point his birds so far off. I mean, it, it wasn't unusual for him to point a single quail at 30 yards. And, you know, you try to put that bird in the air. It was pretty <laughs> tough. You then I'd end up relocating him <laughs> two, three times. Right. And so I only ran him a couple of times and he, he, he was a good, uh, a good grouse dog, but he wasn't a field trial dog. He, you know, at best he pointed with a, a, a 10 o'clock tail poker straight, but 10 o'clock tail. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have that, to, you know, he ran nice, but he didn't have that snap, crackle and pop like a field trial dog, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, do you think that's, that is, I guess, where the line over the pond separates, you know, American dogs from European dogs? It's just the amount of go that they got? Well, well, I mean, 
listening to your podcast at some, uh, you know, at running at fifth, was it 1500 meters? 1500 meters. Yep. That's gotta be some go to me, but mm-hmm. just the way that the dogs moved, it's, they, they, they didn't seem to have the, the stride that, that the dogs have over here. Right. They just had a different gait to them and it, it was slower. It was, it was slower, but you know, it's, I guess that's the way we breed them. We, you know, we breed them to run and, and we, we look for that, that nice classy gait and, long strides to cover the ground like we need them to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm, and I'm definitely going to take Omar up on that offer first and foremost. Um, whenever, whenever the next kennel opening I have, you know, comes available. I <laughs> and I, and I, 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 I very likely ain't going to trial that dog, but as a, as a guide dog and as a hunt dog. Oh yeah. Whew. <laughs> I'm definitely interested, and I and not that I wouldn't try it just because just the American standard is just so much different, you know that that dog is not going to have that that upright twelve o'clock tail, so why even right. sign up for it? Yeah, you know. Um, but I guess that leads me into my next thought, um, and I'm 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 kind of bringing up some additional things that we were talking about, but in the trial world, you know we get guys that may be a little bit intimidated on getting into the trial world. And I, and I always talk to guys like you, I was talking to my buddy, Terry Chastain, um, not long ago. And, um, you know, he trials and, and he's, he's, he works at, um, I think Melrose plantation down here. And there's a difference between having a good dog and having a good trial dog. And I think that conversation is, maybe a little tough for, for folks coming in to hear, you know, like I've spent a lot of time with my own dog Vegas and, and assuring myself and of whether or not it's worth my time to even think about him as a trial dog, not even, and this is before we even put him in a trial. Does he have what it takes to even pay the fee? You you see what I'm saying? Sure. What, what do you think, makes a dog even worth considering to be a trial dog. And is that a conversation that, you know, we, we do need to be having with folks out, out here nowadays that might be interested in getting a bird dog. Well, I I think, you know, if, if, if you go to some trials and and you see the, the dogs perform that the dogs that are winning and you gotta, you gotta evaluate your dog and, and be, be honest with you, with, with yourself. Uh, you know, most of these dogs, as far as amateurs, they're, they're pets. First of all, they're pets. And, mm-hmm. you know, once, once they get the dog, they're not look, they're not going to, they're not going to give the dog up or wash the dog out. Right. And I think that's, so, that's where it gets hard. Yeah. I think doing the research and trying to find the best bred dogs out of top, field trial contenders is where you should definitely got to start. And so, so you at least have the blood, you know, you at least got the blood there to, to start with. And a lot of it has just has to do with developing. Mm -hmm. You know, I see a lot of young dogs that get washed out because people just don't give them the opportunity or the exposure 
or just a time to develop. Mm-hmm. And that's on a professional level. I mean, you see a lot of pros. I every yeah. level, I think. Yeah. You see, well, yeah, true, true, true. I mean, I, I hear about guys that wash dogs out never with less than a year old. Yeah. How do you do? Yep. I wouldn't even think about that. And and you let me know what you think about this, but I wouldn't think about that until that dog is at least two and a half. Yeah, I, I tend to keep my dogs, you know, quite a while before I, I make that decision whether to pull the trigger. Not, well, not, you know <laughs> not figured, mean. not yeah, literally I don't speaking. Mean it like that, but, you know, to, <laughs> Figuratively to get, to get speaking. rid of the dog or not. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> what did I say here? <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, and, and, and I, that, that is a conversation between Darrell and, and, and Tim Kevin, no, ladies and gentlemen. But um, no, not to literally pull the trigger, but figuratively yeah, you know speaking. I mean, to, yeah. to, to, to let the dog go <laughs> as a hunting dog. How's that? Right. <laughs> uh, we we got to be careful about what we say out here because that's right. Lord Jesus. Got to be politically correct. <laughs> But um, I mean that because so many speak. I mean, people spend, uh, th- you know, hundreds of thousands or not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and thousands of do- uh, dollars on these dogs. And sure, I, I just what I want to do with this podcast in the in the transition to talking about field trialing um, is really get into the specifics of okay, what is going to be the best the you know the the best way to use your time and there are a lot of great trial dogs like you can train a tri- a dog to the trial level and he never get field trialed but then right. he'd be an amazing hunting dog you know um but i i, I know when you want to get to this level of 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 creating what a, a class shooting dog or a class all age dog. That's a different conversation, man. And, you know, for me, I was just always nervous of, okay, what in Vegas is my first pointer. And so right. I'm like, dang, like I want to try this dog, but okay, where are we going with them? You know, what, what, mm-hmm. what are we spending our time on? <laughs> Cause if, if he's not going to make the cut, then we just need to go ahead and, 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 and do a little self-reflection. <laughs> yeah. I myself would, you know, I like to at least get them into, or if not through their derby season mm-hmm. to see, uh, you know, I've had dogs where and probably my, I would have to say my most successful dog, uh, Katie, I was told to wash her out that she, she'd never, she, she wouldn't make she wouldn't make it. Now why did why, I, why were you told to wash her out? She just didn't didn't seem to have it. She you know it she she she, she ran but not not real big. She just seemed ca- kind of common. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of stuck with her. You know I I said okay I'm gonna break her if you know I'll sell her as a gun dog if I have to. It seemed like once I broke her, I mean, she was always great on her birds, but once I broke her, it's right. like the light bulb came on, the, the the run came, everything just developed with her. Mm-hmm. And she turned out to be, you know, probably the best dog I'll ever own. Wow. And it just, that's what it is. So that's Hog Hill Katie. Um, it is. And what do you think makes a dog, I guess it's, it's, 
once they see what you're trying to do, because I think these dogs are smart and they understand. All right, I'm I'm not I'm doing something a little bit different than just going out hunting. So you think it was just the the amount of and not not intensity, but the level of training that you had to get to for her to get it because early on, I mean, it, it just it's hunting for her. Yeah, I. Well, I don't, I honestly can't tell you what it was. I kept working her the way I always did. When she was a puppy, I couldn't, I couldn't buy a, a ribbon and a puppy steak with her. Wow. And then, and then once she, once she became derby age, everything clicked and she just, she, she was on fire. Mm-hmm. She did. She, I, I've had a lot of fun with that dog. Yeah. Just, uh, you know. That's that's cool. That's cool. So let's let's go into one more thing when when you talk about a dog like that because you say you couldn't you, you couldn't buy a ribbon with her as a puppy, but right. or in, in a puppy steak. So what are some of the early identifiers? Looking back or looking at at, at the dogs you have now um, mm-hmm. and the experience that you've gained, you know, since what are some of the early identifiers for you when you look at a young dog and say, okay, we we might want to put this dog in a trial. I like a dog that's 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 bold. Mm-hmm. That's and seems to be very independent. That has a lot of point. I I love a dog that has a lot of point that just falls asleep on their birds, and just they just want to point birds. Though, and I figure if you got those things, it's gives it's a starting point. It gives you something to work with. Right. Yeah. And you can usually see that pretty early on, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely, you know, the boldness, it should be there at a fairly early age. You know, once they start pointing, you know, you can generally tell that fairly early too. The dogs just seem to go out there and find birds and just stand there. And just just hang out. They just, yeah. They're not all like that, but they're out there. Yeah. Um, and see, that's, that's interesting. So when I bought Vegas from uh pine Hill kennels, you mm-hmm. know, Gary Surratt, he was like, look, I don't sell dogs that don't point period. I mean, and he, and it was so funny. We, he, we went into the kennel. I had seen Vegas and I'm thinking I was going to take him out, you know, and, and, and run him and, and kind of get a, a bead on what he was doing. Nope. <laughs> we went by, <laughs> we went by and grabbed three other dogs, three, four other dogs out of a whole nother kennel just for him to prove. He was like, nope, grab any three that you, that you see. First ones that you put your hands on. And all of those dogs, they were like two weeks older than Vegas was. Um, you know, all of them, he was just like, Let's just put a feather out. Let's put a, you know, a quail out. He tied a quail to a little fishing pole mm-hmm. and put it in some brush. The dog couldn't see him. And we just kept putting dogs on the ground and they kept locking up like these little itty bitty babies, you know? Yeah. Um. And he was like, this is what I mean. I, I just don't put them out and they would run and they would do everything. It was like they were puppies until they were put on the ground. And then they just seemed to get tunnel vision, you know, and, and just they were more interested in hunting. You know, um, and that was one thing that I was interested in in, in him as a breeder, um, you know, is is getting a puppy that at least has the early signs um, that I, I think that's a good way to at least start, you know, with with young dogs like that. And, I, and 
really just walking them around and letting them point everything. If 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 a dog will go out and point pine cones and butterflies and <laughs> anything that might so much as roll around in the wind, I'm like, okay, well, at least he at least he wants to point. <laughs> right. You know. Um, go ahead. What made you decide on Vegas? So I actually. I didn't pick Vegas. I did not pick okay. Vegas. Um, he picked them for me. I told him what I was trying to do. Um, and the line, I like the line that he came from. So he's he's heavily LU bred, very heavily line bred. Um, Snakefoot, Guardrail in his line. Um, Kiwi, yeah. who's a good producer. Um, who else is in his line? Um, Magoo. You know, he had all of these dogs that I had not only read about, but Gary felt good about them also. But, you know, Gary's line comes from Elhu Damascus. Like, that's right. that's where a lot of that blood comes from. And I told him what it was. I told him I wasn't uh, I wasn't hell bent on a color. But if I had to pick my color, I like the orange and lemon dogs. I just like that look. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I mean, it holds some merit to me. It doesn't make it better dog better or worse. Um, but if he could great. And he had put this itty bitty dog aside for me. Vegas was the smallest dog in his litter. Um, and he was like, what do you think about that dog? I was like, okay. <laughs> that, I mean, because I mean, I, I didn't really know, with a puppy. I mean, as long as he points, that's about all I, I was going off of. You know, I didn't want to make too much of a big deal out of it, but he had had Vegas pulled to the side for me before I had even pulled up in his driveway. Um, and he, sh- he showed me the pedigree and I was like, well, I I think we can work with it. Um, he let Vegas run around after we had pulled three, you know, three, four of his other dogs out. And I was just kind of like, I like him. You know, I liked his attitude. Um, he he kind of. We, we 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 had this thing we joke about him called a Vegas eye, and he kind of <laughs> side eyes you a little bit like what you doing, and uh, that was it. I just I he's a cool dog. <laughs> that yeah. that was really it. Um, I was at that point I was like, well, I I hope he does well. Um, <laughs> and then when I what really sold me on him was when I took him down to Tuskegee and worked him with um my buddy George Gordon. Um, because initially I thought I was gonna do um Nastra trial, shoot the retreat. I see. Um, okay. and he'd have been a great he he Vegas would be a good Nastra dog. Um, but George is big into the Nastra trials, so and he lets me use his land to train. And we had had some quail kind of put out, some were just kind of running around, and and I was using his training grounds, and Vegas took off like a Little, little pocket rocket man and, and he was he was hunting on his own independent head high um and he would i mean he would point like very staunchly um he he had a little at the time he had a little kink in his tail um yeah and that didn't really bother me he didn't have enough yeah, muscle mean anything. yeah and um george was like i think you got something to work with here i was like all right well let's do it <laughs> So, I mean, it, it was a combination of things, but I didn't like I didn't reach into the pen and pull Vegas out. You know, you know, everybody go, wants pick of the litter in, in, in a group of puppies. Mm-hmm. Three of my most successful dogs, uh, Hog Hill Katie, 
Little Miss Bella and Pure Confidence. They were all the last ones in their litter. Really? They were. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So picking a litter doesn't always mean that you're going to have a superstar. That's for sure. Right. I mean, to me, the pick, the, the word pick of the litter I, that's almost like me when I when I see a lot of ads and, and people are like, "Oh, he's AKC registered." Yeah. What what does that mean? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I mean, he's AKC registered. Like, what? Yeah, I mean, okay, so you paid for the dog's registration. Like, what? <laughs> okay, cool, I guess. But with pick of the litter. I guess my fear with that is we get so heavily reliant on that phrase. And then what, yeah. ha- what happens if the pick of the litter washes out? Yep. <laughs> yeah. and, and I, and I've seen, and I've seen it with, with, you know, with other dogs too, other people with that, the last one in the litter and they just phenomenal, mm-hmm. you know, just, okay, we'll give it a chance. And all of a sudden the thing's just, doing everything right now i will say what about vegas's confirmation i like that he was as small as he is and he's still a relatively small pointer um especially to be a male i mean he's not two yet but he's gonna be a small dog i mean he just is i like that honestly tim um he's light on his feet you know, yeah. he's not putting a whole lot of weight there. He likes to get out. He runs nicely. Um, if I like for this next female that I want to get, if I think that'll be my next um, my next baseline, I'll probably ask Cedric, uh-huh. like, look, what's the smallest female you got? Let's let's at least start and look at her there. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. I, I like the smaller dogs myself. They mm-hmm. got less snap crackle and pop they were pretty exciting to watch mm-hmm. usually mm-hmm. Um, who historically manitoba rep i think that was another small dog in the field trial history that mm-hmm. that snap crackle pop you talking about yeah yeah i think that was one of those dogs if i'm not mistaken so um i i think that's cool man so now katie was a small dog Actually, she she turned out to be the largest dog I have. <laughs> yeah, she's a, she's a big she's a good sized female. She's when she's in shape, she's about just under fifty pounds. She's about forty eight pounds in in perfect shape. Okay, cool, cool, cool. You know, cool. I, and that and that's that's a little bigger than I like them. I like those little ones. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go with that man. Now let's. Let's talk about because we I want to get into the the actual um, reason for the conversation the the whole judging thing but talk about pure confidence man now you really got my my piqued my interest with that because I'm a true confidence fan um, yeah. my favorite dogs to read about right now are Valiant and True Confidence so you have an offspring from True Confidence I do I co own him with a uh, a friend of mine Peter Labella. Yes, and uh, Gary Malzone runs him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, mostly in uh, the NBHA circuit. Mm-hmm. But he he was a he was the last one in his litter. Now I I was at work and Pete Labella calls me up and says, "Tim, um, I want to get a, a 
another pointer. Do you want to co-own it with me? And he told me which one. And I had seen the litter at Rich Giuliano's house. He bred the, the litter. And I seen them, and there was only a few left. And this was, oh, weeks after I saw the litter. And uh, I said, sure, so, uh, why not? So, you know, I co-owned the dog with him. And uh, I had the dog for uh, a year and a half. And it, it, that dog, he was had such composure on his bird. The first bird he ever pointed for me, and it was probably a couple of days after uh, we got him. I put pigeon out for him and I put actually put it in a launcher. He came around, sent pointed it, stood there, and he let me go in and flush the bird for him. Hmm. Very first bird that 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 he had he had seen. And he just stood there. I prior to going in flushing, I just stood there. So okay, I'm gonna wait for him to to creep in and I'm going to pop the bird and he never did. I'm standing there and I'm standing there and watching. And so he was just consistently like that. And he broke, he broke super easy. He was, he was broke by nine months old and with, with no pressure at all. Wow. Yeah. He was, <laughs> he was a fun dog to play with. Wow. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. Well, I, I, I mean, you'll get those just, I call them outliers that just, mm-hmm. they get it from a very early, early age. Um, yeah. But then coming, I mean, let's, let's be honest too, coming from that, that true confidence blood too. Um, yeah. It's, that's something. Goes back to that good blood. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. I want one of those dogs, man. If like, if I ever get a chance to mm-hmm. own one, I, man, I would love to have a dog from that line. Um, you know, and and my other favorite right now is, like I said, is Valiant. Um, yeah, that's just a nice looking dog, and I mean, he is from. I would like to see him in action. You know, reading about him in the field is one thing, but yeah, right. seeing him, like if I get a chance to see that dog, that that's something I want to kind of look into. See if he ever comes down here to the south. And that's what you you know you you hope to do if you you know I I've never seen. Uh, uh, true confidence run. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I would certainly love to, to just, uh, you know, I hear so much about him. He's quite a dog. Right. You know, Luke, Luke got the dog and, and he was winning before Luke got the dog, but he's just on fire now. Right. Right. Um, and then you have, what do you got? Eight, eight dogs in your kennel now? Yeah, but uh, I've got, I got eight dogs in the kennel. Uh, some of them are, are, I'm just going to be selling as gun dogs. Okay. I've got, I got three dogs, shooting dogs that I campaign. I've got a derby that I'll, I'll run this spring and a puppy that I'm, I'm, I'm working and I'll run her as a derby and, you know, the verdicts, you know, not out on her yet. I'm not sure. Right. Right. What's going to happen with her. Okay. All right. Well, I, look, I'm a, of course I'm gonna be keeping track of you, um, and and my buddy, I can't Eric Munden from Lion Country Supply. He said right. he had met you a few times, and I wanted to, you know, uh, he had spoken and he spoke really, really highly of you. So wanted uh, to mention yeah, Eric I'm here. Eric, uh, actually, first time I met him was uh, in November at the uh, U.S. Complete 
uh, Amateur Invitational. We they had held it in, up in Connecticut at the uh, Flaherty Field Trial area, and I met Eric there. And uh, yeah, he's Eric's a very nice guy. Yep. You know, he's a gentleman, and he you know he's got nice dogs. Yeah, <laughs> was that Lola? You know? Yeah, he got that nice. Yeah. But- yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I've seen him pop up a few times, and, and we've talked, spoke a lot. All right, so we were talking about a couple of different things that um, I guess might have been. I, I guess we, we, we really didn't go heavily into details, um, but I wanted to, you know, continue elaborating on some of the dogs that you like. Um, you know, we, we were talking about Hog Hill Katie, but you, you've got some more little surprise factors going on, um, you know, as far as what's in your kennel right now. Right. I, well, like we mentioned, I've got the Hog Hill Katie, and she's, she came out of uh, Indian Creek Kennel. You know what? See, her that's because her sire, her uh-huh. sire, he's just a, he's a dog from up here, he's southbound stretch, and he's he actually goes back to Carl Bishop's breeding, who owns way better Rocky. We, okay, who I just saw this past week. Okay, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But ooh, Carl didn't breed the dog, but it it go like uh, her grandparents are. Uh, Island Grove Brew and way better spec. Okay. And those, those, I, and I know way better spec was out of Carl Bishop's breeding. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. but, um, yeah, it's now what, what about that particular dog? Like, what about the traits do you like about that dog? About Katie? Yes. I like that once she was broke, she, She's been she's she stayed she stayed broke like the the Rocky the Blackhawk dogs they seem to really break easy and once they're broke they they retain it and you know some dogs you end up yeah end up keeping have to keep them broke all the time yeah 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 where where other lines they just break and that's it you know mm-hmm. that's like the chase. Uh, like this uh, little female I got out chased her little bud. She's the same way. Right. Just broke, and that's it. <laughs> they so break I, early too. I think you know? if I'm if I'm not mistaken, um, and and I hope Tom don't get on me for for quoting this, but um, Tom Hennis. Uh, so are we I would, recording? Oh, okay. I. <laughs> but Tom Hennis's um dog he brought out some dogs um last time i was out doing some horseback training at daniel howell's place and um he had a black hawk dog and i mm-hmm. really liked him um he was very very stylish um he seemed just to flow you know like he just seemed real easy on the ground um they stood up tall um it was something about that dog that and i'd never seen him before um so you know i think that's something to kind of look into for folks that might be interested in, in really nice dogs. I mean, I know we hear so much about, you know, various pedigrees, but the Blackhawk dogs seem to be real nice. Yeah, they are really classy, 
they they usually carry a nice tail. I I really like them. Yeah. Um, along with, like I mentioned before, the, these dogs that are coming out of Chase Hill Little Bud. These things, they're really tearing it up. As far as in in the uh, walking field trials mm-hmm. and in the grouse woods, I mean they're true true bird dogs. Right. Right. Now, let me let me ask you this, because I, I know way better. Rocky is, is has, has been a dog that's been run up there. Correct. Oh, yes. Yep. He's been run heavily up there now. And I got a chance to see him, um, him and his litter mate at the uh, National Open Shooting Dog Championship. What is it? You know, I, I think there's always the conversation of whether dogs can transition from the grouse woods to you know, the, 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 the pine country plantation country down here, you know, is, is that something that you think is just characteristic of just point, just trial dogs, they should be able to do it. Or do you think that's something that comes with a bloodline? You get what I'm saying? Um, I think some of it has to do with the bloodline, but a lot of it has to do to, with exposure. I believe mm-hmm. if, if they're exposed to uh, the grouse woods, and exposed to the piney woods, you know, these dogs are smart enough now where they adapt. The good ones do anyways. Right. Yeah. Right. I know. Okay. Chase, Chase, little bud, for instance, he, he has, he had 38 championship titles on. Mm-hmm. He had many of them in the grouse woods, many of them walking, shooting dog stakes, all age horseback stakes in every venue he's had placed in championships. And that's saying a lot for, right. a, for a dog, you know, it's right. not many dogs have that opportunity. Right. And see that, it, that's something that, um, you know, our, our, our good buddy, Robert Whaley. And I, I know I keep bringing him up every so often, yeah. but he did stress that, you know, he competed up there in the grouse woods and then came on down here as well. Um, you know, so that's just always been a, a, a conversation for contention, you know, some dogs. Now I do think that some dogs may be more proficient, you know, in maybe the areas that they're raised, you know? Oh, Definitely. Um, and, and that's just because it, I mean, just based on the odds of them, um, you know, like I, like I, if, if I turn Vegas into a, a quail dog and, and a, and a grouse dog, he very likely just be more naturally inclined to doing better on a quail just cause he's down here all the time. And he certainly has been exposed to a lot more quail than exactly, exactly. Than anything else. Yep. 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 Um, so that, I mean, and, and I'm going to run him on grouse as well. I'm, I'm curious to see actually how he does it when he gets the hang of it. Um, but you know, with, with the chase Hill dogs, like what are some of the, um, I guess with your, your pup now, you know, what, what else is it that you kind of thought were some highlights from that dog? Well, from the, from the dog that I I have, she's, she's five years old right now mm-hmm. and she, she broke real early. Uh, I would say by, by 10 months old, she was broke and she's been broke ever since she, she, she doesn't retrieve and she has absolutely no desire to have a bird in her mouth. Right. She just, 
wants to point birds and she's happy doing that. You know, um, is I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut you off okay. right there a little bit if you don't mind. You know, it's so funny that the bird dog world, I guess the emphasis has been so much on retrieving, you know, getting dogs to retrieve. And I think that has a lot to do with the versatile world. Whereas that is, I, I, do you think the, the ideology or the mindset is that a complete dog should be able to retrieve? Well, a complete dog, if you, if you look at, if you're saying a complete dog as in hunting dog, Mm-hmm. I think they probably should, yes. But a lot of us that field trial our dogs, or probably 90% of us that field trial our dogs, our dogs aren't allowed to retrieve. So it's, it's no point in even working on it for training. You know, if we shoot a bird, we'll, we go out, retrieve it ourselves, and, and you know, maybe feed it its head or, or drop it in front of them, let it have a few tugs on it. But that's mm-hmm. about it. Right. Right. Um, now, I am a big advocate of, of, of feeding the head. Um, and I don't do it all the time. Like, I'll, I'll go and clip the beak. I, I, I carry a pair of scissors and I just clip the beak off because so, I don't want it to scratch going down. I'm just, I don't know why yeah. I'm weird about that. But, um, okay. But I don't know, man. Like, it fires my, <laughs> and maybe that's just me, but I feel like it like fires my dog up or something like that, you know? And I don't do it every time, though. My Katie and my Bella dog, they won't eat a head. Really? Nope. nope. Huh. Not Interesting. At all. And so all they they just point and, and keep on going. Drinking that scent. That's all they want to do. Yep. Yep. I am a uh, and and we talked about this before, but I am definitely a proponent of, of, of a dog just needing, you know, the the high of a scent or high of being on point. And that's that's all they need and they can move on. Yeah, my kiss me dog that I trial, mm-hmm. he's a uh, he's he's out of that kiss me kennel, and um, he he'll he'll eat a bird if he gets a chance. <laughs> if I drop a bird, if I drop a bird in front of him, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I uh, you know I mine Vegas won't he won't eat it. Um, he'll bring it back to me. It might be munched up real nice, though. Uh, <laughs> he but, might but he might have had to go at it. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, my buddy Dan from Kiss Me Canada, he breeds a dog that that has a lot of retrieve in him. So that's okay. where this dog gets it from. Right, right. So that I mean, he would need a a trained retrieve if you really wanted him to. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. To definitely. do it right, yeah. To to not munch that stuff up. That's interesting, man. Um, yep. it, were, were there any any other dogs that really stood out to you, whether they're yours or or, or on your circuit? Uh, tell you the truth, up up around our part, we we see, of course, a lot of Chase Hill Little Bud. Uh, we see a lot of uh, war paint dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron's War Creek, we see. Um, those dogs have been bred, I'm, and I'm talking pointer in the pointers. Right. Um, those dogs have been used quite a bit um, up in this area. Okay. Now the Aaron's dogs, I I I don't know enough about them 
Um, but I want to because they they're they're always in the running if they're not winning something. Oh yeah, they're pretty high powered dogs. Right now, where are they coming from? Sean Darif's kennel. Okay, okay. Um, I just I I I I see them and I always want to you know look them up, but I I never get around to doing it. Um, but they're definitely always they're they're very strong dogs. You can tell. Um, and, and they're always winning something. And then of course, oh, Sean Derrick is, is just a phenomenal, you know, handler. So, yeah. And he's got a fantastic breeding program. Right. 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 Um, the Midwestern dogs, man. What about, what about out West? You got any dogs that, that kind of stand out there? Western dogs? Uh, geez. I, I don't follow the, the Western dogs that close, but there was a couple dogs out there. Kelly's talking smack. Mm-hmm. And uh, another dog that's out there is um, Saddle Up Non-Believers. Okay. Those dogs you, you, that you you would see in the field quite a bit. Um, those dogs, I believe, have passed on, but. And then, but they were they were definitely some standout. Okay. Those those were some dogs that from out there that I I can remember being you know, fairly consistent winners. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I think we, uh, I think I'm going to, you know, I got my homework to do and, and, and to go back, um, you know, to go back through and, and, and kind of look through some of those dogs, look through maybe old issues of American field and all of that. So I just, I like do you know me, <laughs> I like going back through and, and research. You like your history. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, okay. Well, in light of doing some uh, history, I guess I do consider my Onyx waypoints um, just kind of like a history of my season. And I think we got a lot of good spots saved. Um, so you can, you guys can go back through and check your waypoints, the saved ones, the shared ones, and add some new ones. Onyx Maps is a good way to scout for new locations and save them. The season isn't quite over just yet, guys. Check out Onyx Maps today. So... Um, now, you know, getting into, um, some of the thoughts on judging, first of all, you, you spoke very, very highly of Gary Malzone and, uh, John Stogaitis. So, you know, and, and if I could say this, you, you probably look up, you know, or look up to them as much as I've heard, I, you know, I don't want to make an oh, assumption, but definitely if, if I have to say I've had, have, uh, uh, the mentors that really have helped me a lot would be John Slagaitis and Gary Mozone. De- okay. Definitely. I, I've had the opportunity. I purchased dogs off both of them and they've been, they've, they've all been nice dogs, but they've really helped me, you know, with my training, my handling, just every they've been they've been great and they've you know they've been very gracious to invite me over there and let me train with them and you know that's I I've been very fortunate I have to say right right okay well I am so what are some of the 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 some some notable things that you I guess taken from both of them that that could that really helps you with your um your training and in trialing well um. Gary, he, he, he helped me out what to look for in dogs. He, Gary, 
Well, they both do, but Gary breeds a lot of, a lot of pointers. And, um, I got some, some of my early dogs I was, I was getting from Gary. So he initially helped me quite a bit mm-hmm. and, and what to look for in a dog. And, and, uh, I learned how to, to, to break dogs by watching Gary. Gary's, I like the method he uses. Mm-hmm. It, it, it kind of, it's very similar to the Mo Lindley way. Yeah. With a lot, lot of launcher work and, you know, uh, not a lot of pressure. And Gary always taught me, you want to break these dogs and not leave any fingerprints on them. Mm, interesting. Okay. And, and, you know, he, he taught me how to put, how to polish up a dog and really get them standing up nicely. And I, I paid attention and, you know, he's helped me a lot. Gary has it. And John, uh, a lot in the same way. John's really helped me ha- with my ha- handling of the dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he's quick to let me know if I'm making a mistake and giving me suggestions. And, you know, I learn how he works his dogs. And, and then both of those trainers are extremely hard workers. I mean, these guys are up at first light and they don't stop till after dark. These guys... All that that's why that's why they're in the top of their game, you know. Right. It's it's all about work. Right. Well, and that's that's a trait that I've heard um about them. Um Farrell Miller. The the the, yeah. the guys that win are the guys that work. Yeah. You know, um, That's the truth. You get in you you get out of it what you put into it. Right, right. Um and that and that's something that I actually um you know, want to model is not overworking a dog, but when, when I mean work, I mean, you're constantly assessing You're constant. It's, it's the thing that you honestly do off the dog, you know, um, in addition to the work that you put in with the dog while you're out there. Um, and that's the best part about field trialing, man. It's, it's a, it's a year round thing. It is. And that's, that's really what, you know, that's, probably why I got into it because, you know, I started off just hunting my dog, but then, you know, I wanted to do something more. And so I, that, that's how I started field trialing. Mm-hmm. Just, just, it kind of kept me, kept me going all year long. Right. Well, that's, that's what I'm looking at now. I mean, I, it's so crazy. I, I, I just hadn't been that interested in shooting up, you know, a whole lot of birds after December. I just wanted <laughs> to kind of get my dog, you know, ready for his first derby trial. And to me, that just takes a lot more than just going off and killing birds, you know, um, you know, getting him broken, keeping him there. Um, now also when we, when we talk about, um, you know, trialing and things like that, and we, we mentioned AKC's, you know, early on in this podcast, but like, Mm -hmm. I guess what are some of the things that you noticed that were different between AKC field trials and, and the American field? Um, I it's it's interesting. There there are little minor things that I ask because um, historically AKC was modeled after American field, but it's different now. Yeah. Um, well, in the AKC, you, you know, you t- you tend to see you see more. Uh, more variety of breeds 
you know, you'll see the continental breeds, uh, pointers, setters, mm-hmm. short hairs, Britneys, Gordon setters. You see them all in the same stakes. And obviously American field, it's primarily pointers and setters. Right. And I, I don't want to stir the pot. I'm not trying to, but I, my feeling is that the caliber of dog in the American field it is much higher than mm-hmm. I agree. The, the uh, AKC dog, and not, I mean, there's some tremendous AKC dogs out there. Right. I mean, I, I've I've not competed in AKC trials, but I have judged them, and there's some great dogs out there. Right. So that that could that could compete in the American field. Right. I mean, it. I'm gonna I'm gonna align with you on that one. Um, and there are specific like short hair stakes and Britney Club stakes in the oh, American yeah. field. Yep. But yep. Uh, to your point, I mean, predominantly the if you want to win in American field, as, as it seems right now, what what they say you're not gonna come to the Kentucky Derby with a, a Shetland pony. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like you go yeah. get you a thoroughbred and, and preferably one bread from Bob Baffert. Like <laughs> exactly. You know, um I just I, is it is it just the way that the dogs are built in American field, like the, the pointers and the setters? Um I, I it's it's very interesting. Go ahead. Here we go again. I, and again, <laughs> I, I'm not bashing them, but if you if, for instance, you take uh, an AKC pointer and you you just stand them beside an American field pointer, they look totally different. Yeah, and that's confirmation-wise. Confirmation-wise, uh, they actually they actually, in my view, they carry more of the European characteristics than they do the uh, American dogs. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just speaking of the pointer. Um, it there. Oh, people aren't going to like me. But, <laughs> I think, I think well, it, it is I what know, it is. With the, you know, <laughs> the, the calibers are just not the caliber of dogs that we. The American field dogs they're bred for the high performance. They're you know they're those are the dogs that you you want to get that you want to breed to right. uh, it, the AKC they, they get, they get huge draws after trials. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll, they'll have up in our area, they'll have, they'll draw 130 dogs commonly. Good Lord. And, and, you know, we're luckily, we're lucky on like some of our amateur trials. If we draw, 60 dogs that that's a good draw mm-hmm. um but i think that's because you got you've got the uh all the different breeds that that you have in the akc so you've got a lot more you got a lot more competitors in the akc trials than you do in american fields up in this area right it's not near as as concentrated right yeah yeah so and I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't know. I don't know if you know. I don't know if 
some of them are intimidated by the American feel that they, you know, because of the, the caliber of dog or if it's just the atmosphere or what it is that, that uh, draws more people to the AKC. Uh, you know, it's, it, I'm guessing it's probably the, the, the fact that there's, there's so many different continental breeds that are involved in the AKC trials. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the continental breeds, there's uh, retrieving required uh, in the AKC trial. Right. So if you're if you're in a, uh, a gun dog stake in the AKC trial and you're running a short hair or a griffon or uh, let's see a wire hair son, those those breeds are required to retrieve. Whereas the pointers and the setters, they're not. Right. And 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 I, and honestly, for. And, and I'm going to speak on a personal note, but yep. for what I'm looking for out of Vegas, it helps me not to have that dog to retrieve. You know, like that's such oh, yeah. a it, oh, it, yeah. <laughs> like it, I can I got my lab and he will go and do all the retrieving that I need, all the flushing. And yeah. I even use my lab as an assistant when I need birds flushing and, and I'm trying to keep Vegas, you know, broke, um, you know, while we're kind of training. To not have that dog have a bird in his mouth gets mm-hmm. rid of so much of that temptation to go after it. it sure does. <laughs> <laughs> like, man, yeah. you know, um, Vegas messed around and broke on me one time um, and picked up a bird. And I, I don't even think he was intending on doing it. I think he just ran by it and was like, oh, it's a mm-hmm. dead bird on the ground. Um, yeah. and that freaked me out so much and he, it didn't bother him, you know, no, it didn't. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it wasn't like we had kept doing retrieves and he retrieved it perfectly to hand. That's not even something that we do, yeah. but the, you know, I, the idea that I don't even have to worry about him becoming unhinged and that's, right. that's not a knock on anybody that does let their dogs retrieve and that's just, it makes it so much easier for me to not have that concern, you know, um, cause I, I almost feel like it's, it's, it's not, not torturing a dog obviously, but it's just taking that one element out. So now after the season, I gotta, I gotta break them back again just for trialing and things like that. It it just makes life a lot easier for me not to have to worry about that. Yeah. I agree. No, I I don't let I don't let my trial dogs retreat. Yep. Yep. At uh, all. <laughs> so and and that's it's so funny the the crazy, you know, the 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 questions that come like, why don't you let your dog retrieve? And there's that school of thought of, you know, the retrieve is the reward for the dog and this and that. No, I think, mm-hmm. the, I think the reward is the dog going on point and getting that surge of, I guess, dopamine or whatever that dogs yeah. get from that. Yeah. I think they get a high from drinking in that scent and that, I think that's, that's all they really need. Right. I, I don't kill a lot of birds for my dogs and I, you know, I, I've got, one of my shooting dogs, I I could shoot a bird for her, drop it at her feet, and she has no desire <laughs> to, to to lay her mouth on feathers at all. And I I honestly don't think I can't remember her ever having a bird in her mouth. Yeah, yeah, it's you just know, not. She it. just doesn't. 
It's just not her. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I mean, that's that's that to me is a is a is a a good place to be, man. I mean, all they want to do is get off. Okay, I pointed the bird. It's down. All right, let me move on. Yeah, uh, you know. Um, now we were talking about, I guess, people being intimidated by that, and there's all these weird nuances that go into it. So, have you seen a a, a surge in certain demographics or populations in in American field, or is this something that's just is on the down spiral, and we should all be hopeless? Uh, no, I don't think it should be hopeless, but I think right now, along with hunting. I think a lot of the field trial people are, are aging out. Yeah, and we need that. We need to uh, get new new people, young people, into this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think that's how our initial conversation started with your mentoring program. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, it's very important to get new people in. We we have a, a gun dog stake up in our, in our amateur trials up here. Mm-hmm. And that over the last probably five years has brought in several new people and that's getting to be a very big stake for us. Okay. And n- now we're starting to see those, some of those people that were very active in, in the gun dog stake trickle over to the shooting dog stakes. And that's what we need. And that's how a lot of us start Right. is with the gun dog stake. And you, they, you know, you build your confidence, you, you know, you, you start working your dog a, a little bit differently and, you know, they get a second dog and they start running in the derbies and puppy stakes. And then they, you know, they, they go on to the shooting dog stakes and it, it's really, I think, I think that's really helped us up in the Northeast Yeah, is, is, is that gun dog stake. Right. And, and I think in addition to the gun dog stakes, um, Sometimes there's this misconception that you need horses for field trials. Oh yeah, you know, and the walking trials are a very good. Ex- I know when I was in it, and I was I when I was kind of looking around, I was like, dang, like how am I gonna get into trials? I mean, I've got mm-hmm. good folks now that will just lend me their horse. Um, yeah, but if I couldn't do that, we got to do walking trials, right? You know, and and, well, I, and that's just as competitive. Hey, oh, it's super competitive. The U is complete was was fashioned so that a guy with a bird dog, a pickup truck, and a blank pistol can go out every weekend and field trial. Right. And you know, they 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 allow horseback scouting in in uh US complete and in NBHA. Uh and you know th- there's there's a few that, that arrive with horses, but for the most part, you know, if it's a championship, I, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot of horseback scouts, mm-hmm. but most of our, our weekend trials, you know, there's a couple of the people there with horses, but it's, it's primarily all walking. Right. You know, you might see the judges on a horses, but, but, but usually they're walking too. Right. And then you just got to do the extra leg work to, to get, you know, to make sure you find that dog on point, you know, and, yep. and, to, yeah, and, and to me, the walking aspect of it, it, I mean, cause a horse, you can get to a dog on point fairly quickly, right? You know, with walking, if that dog is standing there staunch like that for as long as it takes to walk, that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. And, and 
the in the U.S. complete and NBHA are walking dogs. Well, basically, well, to be competitive, you need a horseback dog that you run on foot. Right. And these dogs get out there. And, and they're going to stay some, out there, yeah. Some of the venues are a little tighter. You know, you got, you know, there's a little more cover, but they generally all have, have some some open areas where you can really show your dog, you know, get out there. Right. And and get out there and stay out there and, and, and handle yep. well. So um now, all right. So now this is this is where I really wanted to go with this conversation because we um We've been talking about this for a minute now and just kind of trying to figure um, some solutions. But, you know, we had a conversation the other day um, about holding field trial judges to a higher standard of accountability. Um, you know, I, I I'm reading um, William F. Brown's uh, um, field trials, judges, standards, all of that stuff. And you have been a judge and, and have quite mm-hmm. the experience um, but you kind of noted you, you mentioned to me that you kind of noticed some quirks in, in things. Um, and it's just a critique on the process. And hopefully it it's something that maybe some other folks that are judging could think about this. Um, but let's talk about holding judges to account accountable. And what sparked that thought for you? Well, our judging judging. We have, obviously we have no no point system. There's no, you know. There's nothing like that. So it's all what it's all on the judge's opinion. What what they what they feel is a quality of performance. You know, we, the uh, AFTCA um, has a a, a a book, the standards, field trial to field trial procedures, judicial practice, handling, and bird dog performance. This book gives you an outline of what, what basically you're looking for. And, and they go from puppy derby to shooting dog to all age in all these different, uh, stakes, but it still goes, boils down to one person's opinion. Right. And that's on that certain day. So, you know, it's in a field trial, you're going to have, in a, in a half hour stake, you're going to have three happy people and in the rest of the field walking away, scratching their head, wondering what, why their dog wasn't in it. Right. You know, and you know, there, there, there could be dog, there's dogs that have some tremendous performances and people wonder why their dog didn't get, get in that, that particular day. Right. And the way we were, we were talking um, last week, and I, I had mentioned that, you know, it, it got me thinking that when I when I was younger, I was in 4-H and FFA, and I was uh, I used to show dairy cows and all this, and I was on the dairy cow judging team, and we went all over all over the country. Actually, our team did very well judging dairy cows, mm-hmm. and and dairy cow judging. You're, you're placing four cows. And after, after you place your cows, the judges have to give stand up in front of everybody and give reasons why they place these cows in this order. Right. And 
to me, it's, it's kind of they're holding you accountable for your placements. Mm-hmm. And so I got to think of Chase. Why, why can't in field trials the judges just take a few minutes while they're giving their placements to give reasons why they placed these three dogs or two dogs be at a championship the way they did. The majority of people, we, we, we get tend to get pretty good galleries uh, watching these stakes. Right. And it, it's, everybody's got a common idea of who wins these or who, you know, who the top dogs that particular day are. Right. And sometimes it's not even close to what, what we think. Mm-hmm. And for what, for some reason or another, a judge or both judges saw it differently. And you just want to know what factored into their decision. Right. So if, if you got two judges and they placed two dogs that, the majority of the people think, well, those dogs had, didn't, in their feeling, didn't have the best performances, but yet they got in. Well, these judges need to go be, be up in front of everybody and tell them why they placed those dogs. And maybe it would, it might, it may help the rest of the field understand why their dog didn't get in. But if there was a little dishonesty in their placements, I feel it holds the judges accountable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And every, you know, it, it's again, there's probably people aren't going to like to hear it, but that's, you know, I think that's something that might, you know, I don't think it ever would be adopted, but I think it's something that might, might help a little bit. Right. Seeing that we have no standards, we, we have standards, we have no point system that's consistent. And Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. Okay. Um, you know, that that makes perfect sense. So I guess you got me thinking about that, and I've been kind of rolling over it the last few days, um, just talking about it. Is there a way, cause, and, and think about this statement, um, the gallery honestly really knows who won that trial, right? So let's, <laughs> let's, let's consider the gallery in addition to the judges. Is well, the there, gallery sees... They, they tend to see more than what the judges see. Right. So is there, you know, a de- is there a democratic way to incorporate some of the opinions of the gallery into the judgment? Uh, I, I, I think that that would raise a lot of problems. You think so? I, I think so. Uh, you know, but you know, you, you've got, you know, 20 sets of eyes, on dogs versus two. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's it, judging is a touchy, it's a touchy thing that, you know, it's in a way I, I'd like to see some sort of a point system to make it very, you know, some very consistent, right. but I, I don't see how that could possibly happen in a field trial situation. Right. And so, and <sighs> I guess that's the frustrating part about it, because, again, it, you've got all of these people that are looking at the dogs. 
you know. Right. Um, but then it really comes down to two, you know, two ladies or gentlemen that are gonna make the final evaluation. But what happens right. if um worst case scenario judge is looking one way at another dog and trips over something and misses, you know, certain details, you know, just weird little things that might take the judge's attention away. And and it happens, you know, uh, a judge judge could be looking one, uh, be watching, both judges could be looking over at one dog taking an edge while one dog is over, over to one side, takes a bird out, neither one sees it. Right. But right. yet, you, you can't judge what you don't see. Right. And then, okay, so even going on that, what happens if there is, and I read about this now, there's that all-age dog that is way over the horizon. And you can't get, because we're talking about a dog pointing birds quarter mile, half mile, mile off. Sure. You don't, you don't know if those birds ran you know, and they flew off. So when you get there, the dog is still standing staunch on point. You go to flush, nothing happens. Well, it's it's that same notion of, okay, if a tree fell and you didn't hear it, did it really fall? You know, like, you know, it's, it's weird little things like that. Okay, so how do we judge a dog that we never saw actually point birds? And the point, the uh, dog points a whole covey. But half the covey runs off, and the other half of it flies off before anybody was there to see it. Yeah, it, it's something. It, if there's, if the, the if the birds are not produced either with the initial flush or relocation, it, it goes down as a non-productive. Right. I mean, there very well could have been birds there, and and that and that happens. It, that happens even in walking stakes. The uh, you know. The bird, the dog could go on point, and the the birds leave before we get there. Um, somebody in the gallery might might see that from the position that they're riding or walking, but yet the judges don't. Right. And 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 that that's happened. That's that's definitely happened. Mm-hmm. And and if and if you honestly didn't see the bird, you, you can't you can't give credit for it. Can't can't judge what you don't see. Exactly. Yep. So, and then I'm going to present another one. So we've got a lot of guys that are just older. I mean, you've got old guys judging. Okay. So like uh, please, <laughs> <laughs> you are very cognizant. Okay. And very, and very much so well within a, the, the, the age range to, to accurately make a judgment. But like, what happens if we got guys that don't even know that their memory is fading? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, you know, it, in the walking in the walking stakes, if we don't have a horse, you're not going to get that because <laughs> sometimes it seems if you're able to walk, yeah. you're automatically a judge. Right. <laughs> if you can, if, if you can walk 12, 13 braces, you're, you're, you're qualified. You're qualified. Right. Right. That you is know, true. And that's the thing with aging. When we go back to aging out, like and in these wild bird trials, you know. The judges are walking in most cases, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, we don't, we don't have a lot of, a lot of young people coming into it with the experience that, that you can get to judge. Right. You know, there's, there, you know, there's a few, but not as many as to, you know, for the, for the need we, we, we have, right. it's, 
you know, so you see a lot of, you do tend to see a lot of same people judging. Mm -hmm. No, you do. So now, okay. So in order to get younger folks into the judging aspect, what is the process for that? Is it it like, I know with NAVDA, there's like an apprenticeship thing. Yeah. AKC, there's an apprenticeship. Okay. Yep. Um, in the American field, there is no apprenticeship. You know, you, you kind of expected to have dog experience, uh, you know, it, maybe some shooting dog placements uh, under your belt and stuff. But eh, it's, you know, it, it's it's tough and it, it's, it is getting really tough to find judges. Right. Because, right. you know, we don't have the numbers and, and the young people that that have the experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess that's the thing. Like, I, I'm really enjoying American Feel and, and, and looking yeah. forward to um, participating in it. But, you know, what happens in, in you know, 20, 30 years when folks age out or something like that and now mind you the best part about it is um chris mathen and tommy rice are working on the youth field trial alliance so there is there is that coming in too um and i and i hate having this like the world is ending mindset about anything in, in regards to bird dogs because i'm of the mindset as long as american field has been around it ain't going nowhere yeah um no it's not gonna go anywhere but it we need to we need to change i think change our mindset to get more people into this mm-hmm. we need to be more more creative right right um i mean cuz there's not even there's not even a social media presence for american field you know like yeah yeah you know so there there are all of these little things you know that that are there but you know i mean those are the nuances man and i i'm trying to figure out all kinds of reasons why judgments would go bad. I mean, you got age, you've got, um, you know, and, and then you've got favoritism. So what happens if, and, and, and this is, this, all of these things are theoretical. I want to note it that these are hypothetical questions, you know, um, and these are things that a good judge should know better against, but let's be real there. We're human, you know, stuff happens. And so, you know, what happens when you get favoritism as far as between one or two judges, you've got the local talent that that judge knows he's been around, or you've got a judge that just is truly enamored with the dog and doesn't, doesn't care to see anything else, you know, for the rest of the place. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You hear of a uh, home cooking. Yeah. Yeah. That you heard of that comment and it, it's, yeah, sometimes you, you you feel that's what you're walking into. Mm-hmm. You know that that you know judges in, in certain areas tend to favor the participants and that and that. And you know, I just feel you know I'm I don't let that bother me. Yeah. I just try to if I'm going, I just try to get my dogs prepared, and whatever happens, happens. You know, I right. You know, I I've. I've won stakes that I thought I shouldn't have, and I've lost stakes that I thought I should have won. And right. it's going to happen. I was told years ago when it first started that you better have thick skin if you're getting into this sport. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and that's just what it is, you know. And that's 
But I mean, that's sports, man. Like, you know, the, the, there's it's so funny. There, there's this um, the Super Bowl is today, matter of fact. And for years, 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 the Patriots were winning. Right. I mean, they were oh, just yeah. and a lot of people were like, OK, what what's going on here? Like y'all are winning a whole lot. And I, I would hear the comments of favoritism. You know, and, and Joel, be, be, be careful. You're talking to an New England boy here. <laughs> well, look, <laughs> you're right. I, I'm, I'm treading in the in the in the icy waters. So. <laughs> and, and but I mean, seriously, people were looking like, "Good Lord, is Tom Brady like? Is he paying him? Like, what in the world?" Yeah, and, yep. and, and there is that. I I just think it's fundamental, just good talent. But. um yep. You know, you you get those questions, and and it's the same thing with dogs. And and mind you, I'm from Atlanta. We the Falcons. We can't win a game for losing. So, <laughs> so, um, but it it's just one of those things where I I think that is the hesitation with folks coming in. There is no, you know, regimented judging system. And like you said, no. I, I like how you said at home cooking, like. <laughs> You know, sometimes I feel like, you know, you'll have some dogs in a state that's been just on fire doing a lot of winning. And I feel that some in some cases, the judges feel like, wow, if if, if those dogs aren't on top at this trial, then it must mean we got it wrong. Right. Right. And as I think somebody is some, sometimes you see a lot of uh, judging on past performances or, you know or prejudging a dog on past performances. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and just holding it that. Yeah. And it, it's gotta be as every day is a, a new day. And, and you just, you're just judging dogs. You're not judging handlers. You're judging dogs. Although the, the greatest dog could, could have a poor performance, due to handler error mm-hmm. on that certain day. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's so many different variables that can go into it. Going back to football, maybe we need drones. Oh, that'd be interesting. <laughs> no, okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now you look, you, you bringing this, this fancy new age technology in there now. <laughs> well, and, and look, I, uh, I think that would be a very interesting thing. Like if there was a, again, this is, I, I put it this way. I used to work at Apple. So yeah. weird technology and stuff like that. That is kind of, I'm like, who? okay. What, what would, what would, you know, how would that happen? Um, and I'm gonna give you a funny story. So I was talking to, um, I was interviewing um, um, Brad Sanders from uh, Dixie uh, decoys. And he was telling me about how folks out in Australia hunt, they can actually use drones um, for hunting ducks out there because they'll fly the drone over the ducks and it'll make them squat on the water. (laughs) Yeah. It'll make them squat down on the water. And, 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 you know, they have their whole process there. So not that we would use drones in, in field trial technology, because then what would happen is somebody would be like, Oh, well the drone distracting my dog from doing this and that. But I watched the, I watched these great, Project Upland videos. I love them, mm-hmm. and you see some incredible drone shots that they're, that they're capturing. Right, right. I mean, that's not affecting them, dog. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it, it's, it's not. It's, it's real. It's it's amazing 
how they how well they can capture that. Yeah. But again, and, and it's it's not and we, and we it, all not right. <laughs> it's it's not affecting them. And to be totally honest, I mean that that drone is so high up in the air that dog doesn't yeah. care. Um right. but right. there there is going to be that one person that loses a trial and they are going they they're gonna blame it on everything oh, else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it just just to get the reconsideration now. Um, in light of that, though, so let's talk about your judging process. Like, how do you go about that? Especially talk about how you do it with individual stakes. If you if you're judging multiple stakes or series, how you know, how do you weed out dogs? OK, um, first of all, I. Before before the stake, I like to talk with my judging partner and we 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 talk and we just ask each other what what type of dog are you looking for and hopefully we're looking for the same type of dog mm-hmm. you know a, a, a big running forward dog a classy dog with impeccable bird manners that's that's what i want to see um and we do it brace by brace you know after the first brace we have a first place dog and a second place dog from brace one. And then as we go, if, if a, a dog comes in that has a better performance that takes one of those dogs out at the end of that brace, we decide on, we, we still have, we decide on our placements at the end of that brace and we go from there. I, I don't like to go into the next brace until we're, we're both in agreement on, on the dogs that we're carrying because if you don't do it that way, it's too confusing. You're trying to keep notes on these dogs and it, you know, you really, you really can't keep track of them. So if you're, if you weed them out as you go along at the end of the stake, it's simple. You got your three dogs or two dogs and there shouldn't be any heated discussions between the judges on who they're carrying. And you never want it. You never want it. If you throw a dog out, the dog is out. You never want to bring them back. Yeah. Because that, that, that just causes nothing but problems. Right. So you just, just keep consistent on, on your placements as you go along. Right. And that's pretty much it. Um, you know, and, and obviously you're looking for the best dog. You're looking for the dog that that I say that makes you want to go for your checkbook. The fancy, the dog you want to bring home. You know, ever since you said that, you know, I, I wrote that down and like, that is my, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to resort to that. <laughs> I really like the way you worded that. That start that started years back. I was judging with Eli Richardson uh-huh. and Again, in in a discussion prior to go, what what are you looking for for a dog? And I said to Eli, I'm looking for the dog that makes me go for my checkbook. And he started laughing, <laughs> and he goes, "Yep, that that sounds good to me." Right, right. So it's all it's kind of always been a uh, we we kid around, you know. Eli and I will say, "You see, you know, we'll, we'll be just riding in, in you know in the gallery, and we'll say to another one." We'll say to each other, oh, that dog would make me go for my checkbook. Right. Okay. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm really taking that one, man. Um, I, I'm serious. Like it's it's, it's not it's not patented. <laughs> well, maybe you need to, man. And I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna patent it for you. But Lord Jesus, because it, I mean, it makes sense. Like when you see all of these really great dogs, okay. Because you're you're working with the field trials. You're you're looking at the best of the best of the best of the best, right? You're you're yeah. weeding all that out. So, you know, it makes sense to say, okay, well. If I'm looking at all of the best, which dog would I pay for? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're looking at a, 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 you know, one or two braces, okay, it's obvious. But you're you're talking about multiple braces over a few days yeah. and things like that. That's a tough decision. And, it is, and you don't want you don't want what they call it, you don't want buyer's remorse. No. Nope. So you know, and and a trial I like the trial that you're going to. Whew, you got all the heavy hitters there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and boy, those judges—they got a—they got a tough job ahead of themselves. Right. And it's—and it'll come down to just splitting hairs. Right. In the end. And 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 see, that's that high-level performance, man. That sure. And the you know, you know <sighs> the best part about field trials is the fact that we are—they we, were started initially to perpetuate the best. Um, of the the dog's genetics, you know, sure. I'm, I'm writing an article about that actually, and why the American field was started, and, it, and it's if we go back to just Darwinism, right? Like natural selection. Because, you know, I'm gonna get all sciency on you for a second. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, na- nature is going. It, it basically what Darwin was saying is it, you're we're weeding out the dogs that could survive. And the dogs that or or who's the better survivor of of a breed or of a species. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to perpetuate that ideology in a competitive format. You know, who is going to be the absolute best and carry its absolute the, the best of the genetics. You know, and be able to do it throughout the span of its lifetime. You know, and that's that's something right. that I wanted to kind of think about, you know. Well, the, the, the field trials, they're, they're basically breeder stakes. That's yep. what we're looking for. Yep. They're the dogs we want to breed to, to better, to better the breeds. Right. Right. Um, you know, and we are, you know, dogs are fundamentally man-made. And so when you get this stuff, you, you, you start to get, you, you have to go into the string and, and look at your kennel or, or, or your group of dogs and say, OK, which one has the best? If it doesn't have mm-hmm. the best, then we need to move it to another home, you know, things yeah. like that. And then you're taking that, breeding it to the other best. And, yeah. you know, it's really I, I like it because it just filters out the absolute best of the genetics of what you are carrying. Yeah, you can't be kennel blind. That's for sure. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, you know. Put it this way: Nature is not kennel blind. Okay. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> nature is not kennel blind, and and that's one thing that I like to, um, you know, I just I just like to look at, and and it gives me something to shoot for. Um, but you know, I as as we kind of get towards the end of the podcast, I want to talk about Gene Casal and 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 guardrail, like you. You really hit the nail on the head with some of the 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 stuff we were talking about with guardrail. So, why? What about him? For the folks that don't know, 
Talk about well, guardrails history and, and, and Gene Casale being, was he the oldest trialer? Um, Gene Casale, he's, he has made a, a big impact up here in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd have to say guardrail really was, that, that was it. You know, he, I, I unfortunately never got to see guardrail. Um, he was in his heyday before I started trialing. Mm-hmm. But his production record, it, it's, I think it's, it's made a huge change in the direction of the, the American pointer. Really? You know, it, okay. I think, I think it was a big game, game changer. You know, that's, that there's still breeding, uh, guard real dogs today. Yep. And there's, there's, they're very sought after there. It was just such a, potent line of dogs mm-hmm. that I, and and I think it'll carry on. Well, you know, I, I, I agree with Ross that. Yeah. Callaway, he's really heavy into breeding the, the guardrail dogs. Okay. Ross Callaway. What's his kennel name? Do you remember? Um, I would, I, if you didn't ask me, I'd be able to tell you. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, I'll go look it up. It's just something I want to kind of keep on and kind of keep my eyes on him too. Yeah. Uh-huh. But Gene, Gene Cassell, he, I believe it was Gene, Gene was at 92, I believe, when he placed a dog in, in, in the last place a dog in a championship. He was riding at 92 years good, old. Good Lord. And just, he was just such a gentleman, so polite, so humble and gracious. You know, he just, he, you know, he'd be up in the clubhouse in his later years and just, he tells stories and just a one, just a wonderful man. And you know, the field trial, they, we need more people like him there. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me, let me throw you a, uh, let me throw you a challenge question. Oh let's see what you think. <laughs> let me see what you think about this guardrail or snake foot. Guardrail. Okay. Guardrail or, um, Strike. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, you're you're gonna find out. I'm I'm not a big Elhu guy. Okay, okay. Yeah. Sorry. No, 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 no. You're good. <laughs> no, now we got more. I, co- what? Why is that? I I just from what I've seen, I, I like the guardrail dogs. I love the Miller dogs. Uh, I love the dogs out of Rockacre Blackhawk. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I see more consistent winners nowadays out of those lines. Okay. You know, there, there's and 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 part of the reason I'm not a big LSU fan is any dog in existence for a long time, if it was out of a guardrail dog, people bred them. Yeah. So you get a lot of and mistakes in there. I think it got overbred. And, you know, Bob Whaley had a vision and, and he, he was a great breeder and he knew what he was looking for. But I think it got away. It got too big. And, and it just got overbred. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, it, I mean, there's some great, there's some great Elsie dogs like Swammy, uh, 
Pippin McGee. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Sunflower. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Snakefoot was a great dog. But, you know. But was that more marketing, though? Bob Whaley was a marketing genius. Mm-hmm. He marketed the dog and, you know, they, they were good dogs. Bob's, Bob, the dogs that Bob Whaley bred were great dogs. And, and, and the, 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 the early dogs that, that came from Bob's lines, uh, that other people, they were great dogs, but I think they gained so much popularity and they were just bred and bred and bred it. You see all these LSU lines out there that I think got away from what what uh, Bob Whaley's you know vision was. Right, right. Because while he was here, I mean, he was um, he was filtering out. He, I yes. mean, he was extreme. I mean, hair splitting precise yep. about yep. what he wanted, and nobody was going to be able to do that. You know, yeah. if they weren't him. Now, let me let me throw you a judging another judging question in regards to one of the statements that Whaley made. Okay. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase it, not quote it exactly, but basically what he was what Whaley was saying is there has been so much emphasis on, you know, judgment of a dog with a whole lot of range. There's a lot of emphasis on range, 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 range. Mm-hmm. But. So much so that it's it's taken over the emphasis on bird finding ability class, um, you know, along those lines. So you get dogs that mm-hmm. are huge running, but they're not as productive. Right. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, lo- I, I love to see a dog just take an edge and just burn it to the end. But I also like to see a dog check in to a certain extent and, mm-hmm. and you know, to, to want to know where its handler is that, that, that shows me the dog's got brains and it wants to be with you. Right. Um, you know, you, you see, you know, you know, everybody talks about, Oh, uh, a home run hit a home run dog, you know, and a lot, a lot of the, a lot of people or a lot of pros, they'll have several different dogs in their streams. They have some that are home run hitters that are just all out. And if they get them around, you're not touching them, but then you got your dogs that are, you know, maybe not, don't range quite as far. They're a little more handier, but they always get around. They always make the hour or the half hour. You know, I myself over the years, I tend to to like the dogs that I can consistently get around. Okay. You know, I like to have, I'd like to have at least one dog that that's a, that's, you know, a heavy hitter that really just goes. But for me, can consistency, if you're, cons- if you got a dog that you can consistently get around, get around, I think you're going to end up in the long run winning more field trials with that dog. Okay. Being able to, to, through, to through, maintain management basically. Yeah. I, I, John Sildarius told me years ago, I said, the first part of winning is finishing. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> there's no truer words, right. you know? Well, and that, you got to be able to finish. That is exactly right. I mean, I'm going to, 
I'm glad Tommy said that too when I had him uh when we were talking about that. Mm-hmm. That's been a consistent theme that I'm trying to keep in the back of my mind, um, especially with Vegas running next week. Um, just get through the race. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of dogs will weed themselves out by just not being able to get through it. Exactly. You know, um, and you said mentioned you told me something that was very, very good. I need to adopt to my um my training book of, of of keeping a derby honest and if he messes up take him out like you would a shooting dog yeah i do i mean the dog's got plenty of time to win ribbons as a shooting dog and these dogs are really smart they're the dogs i feel now are so much smarter than they were 15 20 years ago and it doesn't take long for, for a young dog to get trial-wise. It, it knows that it can get get out away from its handler and just rip birds and stuff like that. And it, it, I feel that if, and it's juvenile stakes, if, if you treat it as a shooting dog, then I think you're going you're gonna to help yourself in the long run. The dog's going to know that it's not going to get, not going to be able to make mistakes and have poor ma- poor manners. So I pick them up. And, you know, it, that's just what I feel. And I see, I see uh, uh, some of the other pros uh, do the same thing. Um, a- as an amateur, I, I kind of adopt that. And, it wor- I mean, I see them doing it, so there's a reason for it. And... I, I just don't want my dogs getting away with something I can't control. Right. Right. Um, well, that's, that's going to be something that I'm going to adopt myself. Um, you know, just being patient, you know, not get just like hunting, you know, not getting so yeah. caught up with shooting birds because the dog yeah. will have his whole life to deal with that. But even with, um, with trialing, not getting caught up in getting the derby ribbon, that doesn't mean. Yeah. It's, it's, Go ahead. It's all about the end. It's all about them being a shoot do- shooting dog. Right. They're all shooting dogs in the end. You know, you want to get them qualified early. You know, it's 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 a little tougher to qualify a, a shooting dog in a shoot uh, than than it is a derby. It's right. it's much easier to get a derby placement. So we all try to qualify them as a derby. Um, some people some do- people as soon as they get a derby placement, that dog will never see a derby stake again. Right. And just, I, I, I like giving them, giving the, the experience, but holding them to the standard of a shooting dog. Mm-hmm. If, if they, if they mark a bird or, or they, you know, a derby, if they, they take three or four steps, I mean, that's, that's fine. I'll leave them down, but cause there's, they're still in the breaking process. But if, if they just all out ripping birds and not, not listening, yeah. that, then they're done. They're, they're on the leash. Right. And, and, and that's a whole different thing. Um, I'm actually going through a couple of things I'm actually dealing with my dog with now where he, you know, he'll, he'll stand through the shot and things like that, but he'll mark and kind of, he'll just turn the direction that the bird is going. You know, he'll take mm-hmm. that half a step over just to see where it's going. I'm all right with that. Yeah. You know, um, because I don't fault a dog for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, thinking about if we're modeling a hunting situation, a dog should do that. 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it, they should be able to. I, I, I would be more concerned about a dog that didn't care where the bird went. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, and of course they won't see that bird or anything, but that that's the difference in intelligence and not. Um, I'm currently right now trying to, you know, just make sure that he stays tight on point. Yesterday he had a, a, a less than spectacular day, but then the day before he was rock solid. And yep. and that's just to say, well, I, I and you tell me what you think about this. Um, but the day, two days ago, we go points pigeon. We're working on pigeons now. Um, yep. He's always been tight on quail, but on a pigeon, we're working them, send them off. I mean, rock solid, looks good, poker poker tail and everything. Then yesterday we go and he, he he's pointing just fine. Flags a little bit as I get closer, he stops and I take a stop. He's poker straight and then I walk a little bit further he starts flagging again then I I take him brush his tail up and he tightens up a little bit more then I flush and the bird flies off and he he ends his point tight but my thing Mm -hmm. is and and I'm, I'm curious to know what you think about it I think I'm overworking him and he might be bored with them pigeons yeah I I think I think they can get a little stale on pigeons Mm -hmm. um they always seem to be a lot sharper on, on quail. Yeah. My, from my experience, I'm, I've had dogs that, that you'll never notice the difference pointing quail to pigeons, but yeah, some of the younger dogs, I think, I think they get a little sour on them. That's oh. not to the point where they don't point them, but they just don't look so sharp on them. Right. You know, it's, you know, with with the uh, pigeons, we're using launchers and this and that. So there's there's a lot of other factors that fall into it. Yeah. Um. A lot of it, a lot of it is just um, confidence in the dog, and you know they just don't they they got to build their confidence. Yeah. And and it comes with age. You know, just just try to stay as little as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I you know I might woe them once. And then just from then on, just go in for my flush. And, you know, I, I, I don't give much, I don't think I'm qualified enough to give training advice, but <laughs> I, I just, I just do what works for me. Right. Right. Well, and that, that's something that I think we all have to pay attention, you know, when you in there quirks, there are things um, I'm not going to fault them too much for. I'm honestly just going to put them up for a week. He's a young dog, yeah. You know, just put I, him up. I like to, I mean, and it's everybody's different. I like to keep, especially my, uh, the older, my shooting dogs, I like to, I want them hungry for birds. I want them, you know, uh, I don't show them the, the birds, nearly as many birds as I do my younger dogs. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I'm in the process of breaking them and stuff like that. You know, and most of it is, it falls down to conditioning with the shooting dog. And, and then, you know, th- there's always bird work involved, but it's not to the extent that the younger dogs get. Right. Right. Well, that, that is going to be my thing. And we're going to sit back and hang out and enjoy the week. Um, now last thing, and, and, and you and I are both big, you know, fans of Maurice Lindley and all of that, oh, yeah. but you had a very compelling story about meeting oh. the writer of his book. So let's talk, let's end on that note. Okay. Okay. Um, it was, I, uh, 
I was going down, it was to the U.S. Complete uh, National Invitational Championship, and it was being held in the Hoffman area. And I got a call from George. He lives in um, Union Level, Virginia. Mm-hmm. You said George, and get that last name again? George, Do- George Do- Doyle. Okay. Okay. Him and, him and his wife, JJ, they, they have a, a bed and breakfast union level and they kind of, they kind of cater to, uh, field trialers and, you know, they're, they're field trials themselves. And, uh, so they, uh, George gave me a call and he says, Tim, uh, if you want to stop in and train for a couple of days on your way down, he says, you're more than welcome. I'd love to have you. So I took him up on the offer and, uh, the first day that George and I, and, uh, um, we were out training and we got talking about, uh, working dogs and he, he's, he likes the, uh, uh, the Mo Lindley, uh, method himself. And, uh, that evening, uh, we were, we were talking and we, we got talking about, uh, training, which we always do. And I was telling him how, you know, I just, I just, favor that method because my dogs seem to respond really well to it. And that, that I had loaned my, the, my book to uh, a friend of mine and I never got it back. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we went out, I stayed that night and next day I was going to stay again, stay the following night. And, uh, he said, Oh, I, Tim, uh, we got a guest coming, uh, for dinner tonight. I said, Oh, great. So, um, dinner came and uh in walks through the door door was uh martha greenley and they introduced they introduced me i was like wow this is great and and she goes oh i have a gift for you and she hands me this thing i open up and it's a signed copy of mo's book she told <laughs> george told me how you lost your other book and i thought that was i just made my evening but we had such a fantastic evening, just, you know, sitting there talking about Mo and his method. And she's, I mean, she's got a, a lot of experience herself. I mean, just, she's so humble and so sweet and she doesn't, you know, doesn't try to push anything on you. Just explain the way she explains things to you. It's just so it's so nice, and it, it it was it was an evening. I really I won't forget. It was a really special evening to meet her, and that you know she thought enough to bring me that book, and it 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 that was that was much nicer than going to the championship. That that yeah. was that made my trip. Yeah, yeah, right there. I look. I can definitely believe it. Uh, you know how great of a moment that was. I. Uh, Spent some time, a, a, a day, a half a day with Mo, and man, yeah. it's unbelievable. You know, just the stuff that you learn yeah. from him. Yeah, I've never met him, and he does do a seminar down in that area. And I'm yeah. one of these years I want to make it to it, but it always seems like there's there's a trial that weekend, so I right. well, I haven't been able to make it. Well, I I think it it'd be good even if you can come down on a Saturday, man, cuz I know he does like training zone, you know, just every mm-hmm. Saturday people come out and kind of hang out and they eat and stuff like that. Um I I think it'll be worth your while, man. I, he's oh, I'm a sure it would be. I just like dude. to meet the man. Yeah. 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 Real cool dude. Real cool dude. Well, oh, I bet. 
All right. Well, you know, Tim, I think, like I said, I, I, I'm pretty sure we got ourselves a conversation. Like, what would you, you know, what do you want to leave with with folks and how can folks get in contact with you? It, it, what do you want to leave with folks as far as, you know, field trialing or, or anything you got on your mind? Well, first of all, this, you know, let it be fun and enjoy yourself. You know, be, be happy at the end of the day when if you're driving out and you got your, all your dogs in your truck and you're happy with their performance. You know, that that right there, you know, that's the main thing is that you're happy with your dog's performance. And, you know, it, one of the best things about field trial is you, you're hanging around for a couple of days with everybody that loves the same thing you do. Right. So you just enjoy it. You know, it, you can be competitive, but at the end of the day, just be happy with your dogs and what they did, you know? Um, and that's the way I look at it. You know, everybody likes to win, but if you're happy with your dogs, that's the main thing. Right. Right. I think that is, that is paramount to, to understanding that. I mean, yeah, like it's, it's a competition who, I, I don't know of anybody that would, that would feel the same not getting a ribbon as they would getting a ribbon, but it's not right. about that. You know, getting a ribbon is great, but yeah. Um, I, you know, I just really appreciate your enthusiasm for the field trial game and the culture and everything that you've taught me in the last, you know, few days, week that we've been, you know, chit chatting on the phone. Um, and I, and I, I hope to be able to continue bugging you about, uh, you know, some trial well, stuff going forward. Any, anytime. And then like, like, uh, the, the mentoring thing that that's sort of, I feel that's, that's going to be a great program once that kicks off. Yeah. A- I'm, any- I, I want to get more people signed up to be mentors though, man. Like there's a lot of people hungry for the knowledge, hmm. you know, but it it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's uh, on the other end of it. It doesn't seem like a whole lot of people have done the mentorship and maybe it's just something yeah. that takes time. Yeah. It, it, uh, or, I wonder if many people know about it. I mean, maybe we need to get the word out there a little bit more because, and I'll certainly pass the word and um, forward the information to people. Um, It, it, even if we just get a few people, right. It, you know, one person could lead to another, to another, to another. And it's something we have to do. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Well, I'm going to keep pushing that. Um, for the folks that want to mentor or want to find a mentor, um, you can find it on my website, thegundognotebook.com. Um, Paul Cook, actually, it was his idea. Um, you can find it, the information through him, Alder for English Setters. Um, and I will update the list um, every week. I know, Tim, you're on there. You just filled it out. Um, yep. So I will update the list every week. Um you know, on Saturdays and things like that and just try to keep a running order. And then pretty soon I'm going to start sending out the actual emails to just kind of jumpstart the connecting process. So, you know, it's, it's, it's work to be done, my friend. Yeah. And if you could just hit me up with those, with that, that, um, that link again, so I can pass it on to people that, that, um, might not be, uh, familiar with it and try to get more people that way. Cause I know people are definitely interested in, in try, trying to get more people into it. We had that discussion at one of the meetings mm-hmm. and I know a group of people that 
would definitely jump on it. So, yep. Yep. I agree. Well, I will get that to you again. Um, and thank you, Tim. You know, I'm, I'm well, about thank to you for inviting me. Look, it's been a pleasure, and I'm about to wrap everything up, and then we gonna we gonna head to Union Springs. Well, enjoy yourself. I want to hear about it when you get back. Oh, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about it and flood you with a whole bunch of pictures. How about that? Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, okay, have a safe trip down there. Hey, thank you so much. Um, and I will get this podcast up and post it ASAP. Okay, Darrell. It's great talking to you as always. Yes, sir. Thank you. Call you soon. Take care, buddy. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, that's another episode of the Gundog Notebook podcast. And and that was Tim Cavanaugh. If y'all haven't gotten, you know, enough of good information from Tim, I don't I don't know. Uh, we might have to have him on again, but I, and I and I know I'm going to continue developing a great relationship with Tim. Um, guys, get let's 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 bring more folks into the field trial game. Let's have more conversations and uh you know, I look forward to, to talking to many, many, many more people um, about this whole endeavor and, and documenting my growth and development with Vegas and, and any other dog that I have coming forward. So with that being said, guys, I want to thank my sponsors, you know, starting out my title sponsor, Onyx Hunt. Um, make sure you use my promo code GDN20 um, for 20% off at checkout. Uh, make sure you guys go and check out Yukonuba Sporting Dog, the premium performance 3020 blend. Um, that has been phenomenal for my dogs. Um, Dakota 283 Kennels. Make sure you use the pro the uh, promo code TGDN10 for 10% off of there um, at checkout. And make sure you check out those, those G3 Kennels and the Tonneau Cover Kennels. Um, also lion country supply they keep us all supplied and and, um, they're very active in the field trial world make sure make sure that you guys go and get you a garmin e-collar system i'm using a pro 550 plus and i can tell you now i'm not i'm very likely going to stick with that going forward Um, it's a great training tool um you know and check out the public grouse film also from project upland if you um if you guys have not bought tickets yet make sure you do so um i know there is the um on february 8th there's gonna be the um the showing down in thomasville so make sure you do that um and go check that out um also what else did I have in mind? Oh, I'm not going to be able to be down in Thomasville. I'll be trialing that day. I thought I was going to Pheasant Fest. Um, I, I definitely thought I was going to, but I actually need to stay back, you know, do some Valentine's Day stuff with my family and with my little girl. It'll be her first Valentine's Day. And I also got a chance to do some some running with Vegas on some pretty nice ground so I think I'm gonna hang back instead of going to Pheasant Fest this year but maybe next year but anywho guys thank y'all for tuning in to the Gundog Notebook podcast and uh, I'm looking forward to getting this episode up uh, very soon and and having a chat with Tommy Rice at the at the trial and, and maybe getting some more content look forward to talking to Raymond Jackson as well so you guys stay tuned for some more episodes coming up next week